So, a couple of weeks ago, Dave took us through six, were there or seven distinctives, I think six, of God's people. Who could name any of them? Unity, five more. Spreading out, four more. Glory, destiny, someone over this side. Hope, presence, distinctive, maybe that would count. Okay, let's look at there. People of unity, so he went from Genesis to Solomon. People of unity, people spreading out, a people of destiny, a people of distinction, a people of glory, a people of hope. Today we're going to look at the New Testament, at the events of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see how God turbocharged these six. It's like he put rocket fuel, he put rocket fuel on these. The Old Testament, we saw them in the, in the people of God through the desert, etc., but now we're going to see the New Testament people of God. So if we can have Acts chapter 2 up the first couple of verses. Oh, there we go, Adrian. I'll have one in a bit. Oh, (laughs) excellent news. Maybe we could share some more. So on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Something of unity right there, isn't there? patience because they were waiting (laughs) weeks and weeks praying suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability can you imagine there's this prayer meeting, it's been going on. How many weeks? Oh, another week. Oh, should we stop meeting, Peter? The weather's nice outside. How about we do something else? No, Jesus says wait. This prayer meeting, daily, in the upper room. 120 or, or so people praying. Have we prayed enough? And then this day, Pentecost Day, there's a sound of wind. Let's have a sound of wind. Can we have a sound of wind? A sound of a a summer breeze, that was. But a sound of a rushing wind, windstorm came in. Great. And tongues of fire came and filled the house. Now for us, you know, maybe you've seen some like um, arty pictures, some, um, you know, tapestry of some sort of modernized picture. Why was it so important for these people? Let's just jump back through Scripture and see some pictures, you see, where fire and the presence of God were very distinct. Right at the start of the call of God's people, Moses was wandering with the sheep in the the desert, and there was this bush that was aflame. And as he came to the bush, he thought, this is really unusual. Why is it not burning up? And God spoke to him out of the burning bush. God says, It's me, Moses. Take your shoes off. It's holy ground. God appeared in flames of fire. 
over the course of the next few years, God spoke to Moses really clearly and said, I want you to build me a tent, a tent for the fire. And in this, uh, this uh, fire, this candle's never going to go out. It represents my spirit. Over the course of several hundreds of years, then, David and then his son Solomon says, we're going to build a temple. And this temple of stone in Jerusalem is going to be filled with fire. And actually, as the temple was opened, as well as hundreds of cattle being slaughtered, the fire and the presence of God came down so thick that the priests had to leave it. Jesus, as he comes to the waters of baptism, the, uh, John the Baptist says to him, he's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. Okay, fire being the mark of God. So now, in this place, this upper room, tongues of fire, is like a really big sign to all those that knew their Jewish history. God is among us. God is among us. It wasn't representative. It was God among us. Fire came upon these disciples. They didn't burn up. Like God says, I am here. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, remember the rushing wind, not the summer breeze, the, ru- the loud wind, everyone came running. People come running and they were bewildered. They could hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, People from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there complexed. They stood there complexed. They said, what can this mean? And maybe you wonder, what's all that about? Why is that bit in the Bible? You see, until this moment, how did you worship God? What language did you use to worship God? One language. There was one language you worshipped God, and that was Hebrew. What was the scripture written? It was written in one language, in Hebrew. Where was the one place you worshipped this God? It was one temple. One temple, one language. God had been very specific about this. The temple that Solomon built, there was one language, God of Hebrews, worshipped in Hebrews. If you want to worship God, you need to be an Israelite, a Jew. Okay, really restrictive. But now, but now it was like, that was torn up. Now from this moment, the Holy Spirit is no longer on one special race. It's no longer on one special language. It's no longer on one special person, a prophet, a priest, a king. Now, the Spirit is, look at us. God has turbocharged diversity. God has turbocharged. Initially, it was the Jew. You need to be like this. You need to dress like this. You need to worship like this. You need to come into this place like this. But now God says, now you can all come. And whatever language you speak in, I'm going to bless you. And you can praise me. 
the Holy Spirit was poured out and they spoke in different languages. What? People couldn't understand it because why are we not worshipping God in Hebrew? Now you can pray in Aruba or whatever, lang- or whatever tongue you have or Welsh or English or Scottish. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they're going to prophesy. It was like God turbocharged diversity and variety of praise that comes into his kingdom. And if we jump to the end of the book, in Revelation, we see heaven is filled with people of every tribe and tongue and nation. Every tribe and tongue and nation. There isn't one superior tribe, tongue, nation anymore. They are all welcomed. And you are welcomed. Different ones from tribes and nations. May God add more and more tribes and nations to this church. There's no longer, friends, there's no longer one center of the church or one center of worshiping God. It is no longer Jerusalem. Now every city, even your home, can be the center of worshiping and meeting God. There is no place on this planet where you can go to be closer to him because he has come to us. Isn't that wonderful? We don't need to go on some special pilgrimage or journey to a special city, a special stone or any of that. There's no longer one center. Oh, man. Now, that could be a challenge sometimes because, again, a bit like Dave Woodward hints, sometimes white people have, we've grown this image and we've lived with this sense that the center of Christianity, well, it's, it's obviously it's like England, and there's even that appalling song about in those times, in those ancient times, somehow that we said England is the place. We're the place of the center of Christianity. The heads of the Anglican church, oh, they're English. Oh, thankfully God is tearing that up. And do you know the biggest, the majority of Christians, we've said this before, in, on our planet, they're not even Western, they're not European. They're in the Southern Hemisphere and they're generally Asian side. That's where the center of, in, in our lifetime, or certainly my lifetime, the center of Christianity has moved well out of Europe. It's now in the southern hemisphere and it's now gone east. So that means actually we need to reorientate our thinking. It's no longer one center. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in Kettering. It's in Suffolk, as Corinne and I are, are talking and planning and moving that way. It's in your street. It's in your nations that we come from. There's no longer one sacred language. Lord, let the languages of heaven, let the languages of men and women bubble up in this place that we can sing songs. There's no longer one sacred ethnicity, the Jews. It's now an international church. That's why we believe God is, it's so important that we learn to welcome and honor and connect closer. And we're on a journey, because it's hard, isn't it? People do things differently, and we think, ah, I thought that was the way we should do it. But now they've got a different way, and then we wrestle some of those those things. What can we talk about? What can we say? Friends, we want to see those 
connections come closer because that's what God has done through Pentecost. But here's the other thing that I've lived with, and I think I'm on a bit of a journey with this. You see, for the Jews, they'd live with this promise. They'd live with a promise that when the Messiah come, that there would be an anointing of the Holy Spirit. There would be resurrection from the dead, and there would be an, an anointing of the Spirit. That is the promise that historical Jews had lived with. When Messiah comes, those two things will happen. Resurrection from the dead and, a, and the coming of the Spirit. Now sadly, they're still waiting for those things. But we know when Jesus came, the dead were raised. He's the first fruits from the dead. And we've just read the Spirit, the anointing Spirit did come. As a result of this, we are now kingdom people. We are now people of his kingdom. You and I are now people. Because Messiah has come and he's raised up a new people, we're now distinctive. You are now an anointed person. If you are in Christ, you are an anointed person. That's distinctive. Did you realize that? You're not just another worker, someone else who lives in your street, or just someone that comes to church on the Sunday. No, you are anointed you're an anointed messenger of the ascended Messiah. Do you know that? Do I know that? I, I feel like I'm starting to wake up to this. Because I... I'll stick with your notes, Adrian. <laughs> stick with your notes. Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes to be my witnesses. When the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. So my challenge to myself and to us is, Who or what are you witnessing to? Who or what are you witnessing to? Are you witnessing to a a lifestyle? Or are you witnessing to this person that sold everything? Oh, Lord, work in me. Am I witnessing to a set of beliefs? Or am I witnessing to an ascended Messiah who's poured out his spirit? Ah, Because one's a little bit, takes you a bit further than, okay, I agree to some of these Christian beliefs, and I've got a bit of a nice lifestyle. You know, I I do some of those things. You'll be my witnesses, says Jesus. And here's the thing. When you read Acts 2, I want us to look at this verse. Peter stands out, he preaches, and he picks on this verse. From the Old Testament. We see it's the most quoted Old Testament verse that Peter uses. God raised Jesus from the dead, he says. I'm telling you, God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he, Christ, is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, has given him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Peter's affirming the Messiah comes, dead raised, spirit poured out. Then he quotes this verse, For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand. 
sit at my pl the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies. Making them a footstool under your feet. God raised Jesus from the dead. We're witnesses of this. He's exalted at the right hand. That's why today he's given the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. David didn't ascend, yet he said, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool under your feet. So, so here's the, the thing I, I think I'm starting to see and I want us to catch. Peter directly connects the ascension of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit with the victory of Jesus making everything footstool for his feet. Peter's connecting the Messiah, the anointing, and the rule of Jesus all together. Now, why is that helpful? Because I think sometimes in charismatic churches, we think, well, the pouring out of the Spirit is for gifts. The pouring out of the Spirit is to make me have the warm and fuzzies. The pouring out of the Spirit is so... Well, it's nice. And we can clap. And Peter's saying the pouring out of the Spirit is part of the demonstration that everything is going to be brought under the feet of Jesus. That moves it up, I think. It's a declaration. The pouring out of the Spirit is a declaration of war. It's a pour, it, the pouring out of the Spirit is a declaration that Jesus will have everything brought under his feet. So when you and I engage with the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we use spiritual gifts, it's part of all things being brought under the feet of Jesus. It's not just, well, wasn't it nice we had some gifts and prophecy or spoken tongues? It's a, it's a demonstration of the rule of Jesus. Are you with me? I feel, Lord, I'm starting to see that this is a whole lot more than just a nice thing. This is a power thing. This is a demonstration of your kingdom on the earth. And Lord, if there's more to see in it, I want to see it. I want to know it. And I pray that we do too. You see, when we're filled with the Spirit, you and I are in, enrolled un in, a, in this, until I humble your enemies under your feet. That's what we've been enrolled in. Not just some happy, clappy services every now and then. We've been enrolled. You've been given battle orders. Is that what we live with, friends? So, Lord, I want to live on the front foot of this. It's war. Friends, you've been and I, we've been called into war. I think that's another distinctive of God's people. As well as the hope and the presence and the, the unity. It's war, friends. It's war... To live as a radical new community. Where else do young and old, black and white, where else do nations come together heart to heart? Not tolerating, think, well, you do your thing, we do ours. No, where else but in the church of God? It's war, it's a declaration. Where else do we pursue the unity of the Spirit? Friends, when you and I pursue it and when we wrestle over... I think, working forgiveness and connection heart to heart, that's war. 
Because where else do we do that? Just, well, you do your thing and I'll never see you again. No, in the church we work these things out. It's war as we express spiritual gifts. Because I've been given a language that praises this king of heaven. It's warfare as we pursue unity. It's warfare as you and I daily live with hope. That's warfare, isn't it? As we get up tomorrow and think, okay, it's not just another week, and how long till some holiday? Oh, no, it's warfare that I live for you, Jesus. That's warfare. No, my marriage. Oh, no, it's, we're not just going to live at this level and hope we get through. No, we want to be strong. Whatever it is, whatever area of our lives. Friends, when God dwells among us with his glory, that's warfare. Because Ephesians says, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God be made known. Friends, when churches are planted, when people travel to cities and plant churches and, and, and so on, it's warfare. You and I have been called into it. We're a people that spread out. God's turbocharged us. Do you know, so my question is, do you know the empowering presence of this Spirit? It's not about behavior. It's not about a set of beliefs. It's about receiving a person, the Spirit of God. Do you know? For me, you've heard me say many times, I was brought up in a church, Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. Could I, re I didn't know you could receive the Spirit. Jesus come into my heart was like the route I came into. I missed the warfare bit. But a friend told me one day, he said, Adrian, you can receive power. I was quite an embarrassed Christian. I, I just hope my teenage friends didn't know I followed Jesus, really. He said, you need power because it's warfare. He said, you need to be receiving the Spirit. So he put his hand on me. I said, yeah, okay. He didn't take me through any verse or any preach or any book. I said, okay, yeah, I, I do. He prayed for me. And God's power and love filled my heart there and then. In someone's front room, me and another guy, the guy next to me, he just started to laugh. I just began to weep as I saw the enormity of God's love and grace and received his power. It changed me. It turbo-boosted me in this, this sense of the call and the mission of God. It stirred up and it awoke prayer in my life like, Jesus, it's you as I talk to. As I read scripture, it burnt in me. Friends, is, have you received the Spirit? Whether you shook, fell on the floor, nothing happened. I prayed for one friend. He said, what's happened to you? I prayed for him. Nothing happened to him. Nothing outwardly happened. The next morning, he came to me. This was at uni. He said, Adrian, what's happened to me? He just he woke up this fire in him. Friends, have you received the Spirit? Have you received the Spirit of God? Not just were you, oh yeah, I had a touch some years back. We sang a song and I... I felt something. Now, have you received the Spirit? Paul comes to the church in Ephesians. There's just a few guys. And he says, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Spirit. Oh. Paul thinks, what about the Scriptures? What about this anointing? We didn't even know there was. Paul takes them through baptism in water baptism in the spirit and it shouldn't surprise us because at the end of this preach 
that Peter's giving about Jesus ascended, the Spirit poured out. The people shout, what must we do? Just like you're asking, what must we do to be saved? Peter's words pierced their heart and they said, what should we do? Peter said, each one of you, each one of you, Adrian says, each one of you must repent, must repent from your sin. That is, turn around and surrender to Jesus. Repent, it's not just, okay, do the opposite. It's, it's a complete surrendering. Okay, Lord, I surrender everything. And here's the thing, it's not just, well, I surrender my heart, Jesus come into my heart. Okay, Adrian, what about your body? No, oh, that's, that's my, okay, what about your mind? Uh, it's everything. Have you surrendered everything? Body, soul, mind, hands, your head, heart, and hands. Have you surrendered your head, heart, and hands? Or do your hands do a bit what they want? Or your head goes a bit where it wants? Repent. If you haven't done that, let me urge you. It's the vital first step. It's much more than Jesus come into my heart. It's Lord rule over everything in my life. You have given everything, as Mark reminded us. Here I am. Then be baptized. Have you been baptized? Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul met the Ephesians. Did you receive the Spirit? The first thing they needed to do was get baptized in water. Have you been baptized in water as a believer in Jesus? don't mean when you were six months, but when you understood. Have you been baptized? Have you identified Jesus? You died, I die with you. You rose, I rise with you. Have you done that? It's a really important step. Really important step. Maybe for all sorts of reasons you've put it off. We have, one person spoke to us recently about baptism. We would love to have some baptisms in the near future. If you haven't been, Talk to us. Talk to some in the church. Talk to me. Unpack it a bit more. Be baptized. It's not something you do when you're good enough. Do you know that? Sometimes we might think, well, I'll do it when I've sorted out this issue. Friends, baptism is something you do at the start. Baptism is part of surrendering. Lord, I can't do it. You do it. It's not something we do when we are clean. It's something to do to say, Jesus, would you make me clean? That's the qualification. So I guess if the dirtier you are, in one sense, say, Lord, here I am. All this stuff I'm hoping that you're working over the years, I give it all to you as I die in the water. Metaphorically speaking. And... You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, says Peter. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Time and time again through Acts, the Holy Spirit is given. Have you received him? Have you received him today? Well, let me drink of your spirit. Have you received him? As we follow these three steps, repent, baptize, receive the Spirit, these same things, unity, spreading out, destiny, distinctive people, glory and hope are released among us. It's not about mental belief and assent. 
It's about a life that's lived in by the Spirit. So church, let's be filled. Let's be filled. You want to proclaim Jesus? Lord, you've called us to be filled. We want to see gifts and the fruit of the Spirit among us. Let's be filled. And living as a soldier, living in this battle, who wants to be in an army with no power? But if we're the army, Lord, fill us with your power. Maybe some struggles we have at the minute in our lives are because you're trying to do it yourself. Lord, let your power come. If we had time to unpack, you could read the end of Acts. You see their lifestyle changed, sense of awe among them, sense of devotion. There was a generosity and openness. But it happened because the Spirit came. It turbocharged their, their hearts of compassion to, to go beyond. So friends, let's pray. Are you up to receive more of the Spirit? You and me, we're in. It's not about being together, like having it, okay, I need to get it worked out and then I come. It's about anyone's thirsty or hungry, come. Come as you are. Dirty, Lord, wash me. Unclean, Lord, cleanse me. Thirsty, dry, parched, Lord, fill me. I pray the Holy Spirit Shall we stand? <coughs> There's all sorts of ways to approach this. And I don't know the right way, Lord, at this minute. But I do say, come, Holy Spirit. Maybe we get to pray for each other in a minute. Maybe a couple of us will pray for each other. I'm not sure. But why don't we just lift our heads like our mouths. Say, Lord, you fill my mouth with your spirit. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. Friends, we're not particularly looking for a feeling, although some people might feel something. We do ask, Lord, for your presence of anointing that came. Lord, we ask that for individually, Lord, we ask that as a church. Lord, it's not that we have all the right things. 
all our ducks in a row. But Lord, you say, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. So I invite you, come and drink. Come and drink from Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts are. Giving by your Spirit. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you're welcome, Jesus. Thank you, you're here, Lord. Lord, I pray for your grace to wash upon our hearts. sense that Jesus wants to do some washing Jesus wants to do some washing so why don't you as it were lift it as your head your hands and heart and ask Jesus would you wash them maybe your head's been filled with lots of ungodly stuff but would you wash it I repent. I turn my eyes away. Maybe it's your hands. Maybe it's your heart. Lord, would you wash us clean? Wash us clean. Maybe it's other philosophies. I don't know all of you, but maybe you're spending time, you're exploring not just Jesus, but other philosophies, other ways of life. Jesus says, know me, know the one that's sold everything. Say, Lord, come and wash my head and hands and heart.